Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata. Welcome to CNN Tonight. Is it possible that the U.S. government scrambled fighter jets and used a $400,000 Sidewinder missile to shoot down a $12 hobby balloon from Illinois? What's more troubling, that or that the Pentagon knew about Chinese spy balloons during the Trump administration but said nothing? We'll have the latest on both those developments. Plus, trains have become less safe. Tonight, we'll talk about the rollback of regulations that allow them to carry more hazardous material through all of our neighborhoods just as they did through East Palestine, Ohio, causing that toxic spill. We don't know what we're facing. We find it very hard to believe that there is no particulate matter in the air that can cause us harm after practically an hour of release over our small community. And with smart home technology, are you the boss of your home or is your home the boss of you? Tonight, I'll speak to one man whose smart home locked him inside without the code to get out. You may think you control your own heat and lights and ring cameras, but think again. Okay, so here with me to discuss all of this tonight, we have Natasha Alford, we have LZ Granderson, we have Josh Barrow, and Chafin Faye. Guys, thanks so much for spending Friday night with me. Great to have you guys here. Okay, let's start. Um, The Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Cap Balloon Brigade (laughs) is missing a balloon tonight. It is missing their balloon tonight. They last saw it on February 11th over the Yukon. Is it possible, LZ, that the Pentagon scrambled fighter jets and used a $400,000 Sidewinder missile to shoot down an amateur balloon club's balloon? It is possible, but... Before we go in and have complete joy and like how crazy that sounds, let's back up like a couple of weeks, right? Mm-hmm. There was a spy balloon from China, right? And that spy balloon from China freaked us out a little bit. Why? Because a year before, China and Russia said before the world, our bond is unbreakable. A couple months after that, they're doing military exercises together. So I do not fault the administration after the Chinese spy balloon for blowing up a toy balloon. Chapin, your thoughts on this? I mean, what was the alternative? If, if this is in fact true, and it was this balloon club from Illinois, what should the um, Pentagon have done? Um, well, where to start? I mean, there's nothing about this that's not troubling, right? Um, but I think, you know, we've learned, the entire world has, seen, has learned two things over the past couple of weeks. One, they know there's some real significant vulnerabilities in our national security uh, in America. And two, that there are hobby balloon groups across America, uh, you know, uh, flying well over balloons. Um, what, what I think um, the American public would have appreciated from the Biden administration is for him to immediately have said, you know, we're, we don't know what this is, but we are on it. 
you know, we are looking into this and just showed but us didn't what his the press people response say, is. I know you want him to have done it, but didn't his press person do that? And didn't John Kirby do that? I mean, they were communicating with They were the communicating, but it, it took a while. And, and I, you know, this communication is, I think, worse than no communication um, because just admitting we don't know over and over and over again. I mean, the world is watching. China now knows that um, we didn't know what happened. Well, what do you want them to do, lie? No. Uh, Politician no. lie? Never. <laughs> no, but I mean, if they did, no, what were they supposed to say? Right, but, but that's what I'm saying. President Biden or his, his people or his top-level people should have said immediately, you know, we shot this balloon down. We're not sure what these other aircraft are. We are on it. Rather than every single day, one of his press people is saying, we don't know, we don't know, we don't know. Well, that's just another way of saying that you don't know. If you well, say it that way. It's true. I mean, it's true. I mean, true. I, I feel like the commentary on this over the last couple of weeks has driven me a little bit crazy because necessarily there are things that we don't know here. We don't know what the administration knew about the extent to which that this device that flew over the country was gathering better information than the was available. The first one, the real right. Chinese yeah. spy balloon. And so the question of did the, the Biden administration hire, handle that correctly depends on information that is unknown to me. And, uh, you know, they have an intelligence that we don't, we don't have, that, which doesn't mean they made the right decision. Sometimes the intelligence is wrong. They thought Kabul was not going to fall for months. But it's the, the people are sort of looking at this and guessing based on whether they like Joe Biden. And if they do, they assume that, you know, whatever decision they made was the best decision possible based on the available information. If they don't like him, they assume that, that they screwed it all up. But I think looking at it from the outside, the frustrating thing is that it's we, we can't really tell whether these were good decisions. And similarly with the hobby balloon, you know, it's an unmanned device. We didn't need to shoot it down, but I, apparently we didn't know what it was before we shot it down. And, and you know, the we can, what, what is the balloon worth? 20 bucks? We can get yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. we can yeah. we can make them whole for that. And I realize that the missile is a lot more expensive than that. But we spend $700 billion approximately on defense a year. A lot of that is for con- for contingencies, things that in the end we didn't necessarily need to do. But you don't know which things you need to do ahead of time. Agreed. I mean, I think that there's been a steep learning curve, and it's been visible to all of us. <laughs> yeah. Here's John Kirby, the NSC coordinator for strategic communications, talking about it. When you're making decisions as commander in chief, and of course, the, the most core principle of all of all is safety and security of the American people and our interests. So again, I, I say to you, the short answer to that is no. Um, and frankly, uh, given the circumstances in light of what happened with this spy balloon, wouldn't that be a better outcome if it turns out that they were in fact civilian or recreational use or a weather balloon and, and therefore benign, which is what the intelligence community thinks? Isn't that a better outcome? Uh, than to have to to to, re- to to think about the possibility of of greater threats to our national security. Your thoughts? I think he poses an important question: Is so much of the outrage really about what is best for the American people, or is it about a moment to make the Biden administration? look weak, look incapable of handling the situation. Uh, It's funny to watch, you know, Ted Cruz criticize President Biden for not moving quickly enough to shoot down the balloon and then to mock him over this hobby balloon and saying that it's a waste of money and really just deters high school science students uh, from putting balloons in the air. Uh, But it does raise a question of, you know, um, whether this really is, I think, something for the American people to be concerned about. And I think the Biden team should take some lessons from how uh, weaknesses were, you know, exposed in communication, if anything. What is the lesson here? Because apparently now that we've tweaked our radar to be able to see these, we're going to see them a lot, apparently. They're flying all over the place. So what is, I, I, I guess at the end of this week, I'm not sure what we're going to do in the future. How will we monitor it without scrambling fighter jets in the future? I'm going to assume, you know, that we're just going to be more sort of focused in on what these objects are and have a better way of determining which ones are threats and which ones are not. I hope I mean, so. 
I mean, listen, this is new for everyone, right? And we're going to continue to discover new things as technology continues to evolve. Yeah, it's sort of interesting to see the sausage being made in this way. I mean, I know you're saying that they have peeled back the curtain too much, but it's this has been an interesting exercise to watch them try to get their arms around this. It has. And um, in all fairness to the Biden administration, it's not their fault that we weren't monitoring this this level of airspace or these slow moving objects. It, it has never been done, apparently, or at least hasn't been done uh, for a couple of for years. I don't know how long it hasn't been done, um, but that's something he can certainly correct. Um, you know, and I'm just talking about I would rather see some concrete plans or something, some, you know, some information. I mean, information makes people feel more comfortable. And I, and I, I don't think we're getting it. And to be fair, they may not have it. Yes, that's true. Well, here's this is interesting information. This is from The Wall Street Journal. They say now it appears some intelligence officials at the Pentagon were aware of the incidents and harbored concerns that they were related to China, believing Beijing was using these balloons to test radar jamming systems over sensitive U.S. military sites. The data collected about the Trump era incidents was limited to a basic assessment and therefore was not shared more broadly within the government at the time. So, in other words, they they were concerned during the Trump administration, they didn't know exactly what was happening and didn't share it the way they have now. So that's the other option. Yeah, and then there's the question of who they is. I mean, we've seen various senior Trump officials saying, well, I didn't know about this, and, you know, wasn't, you know, not everybody in government knew about this. But I think, again, you can sort of, I mean, it's similar to, you know, after 9-11, you can always point back toward intelligence assessments that you could have picked up and said, you know, see, someone said we should have paid attention to this. But there's so much paper that's produced and so many, so much information out there, a lot of which is going to lead you down dead ends. It's, it's, it's hard to tell the extent to which that was an error ex ante or whether it was just bad luck that we didn't pick up the important thing in this instance. But do either of you have any theories on what we're going to do now, now that we know these things are floating around and possibly in U.S. airspace near, near commercial airlines, what we're supposed to do? Well, I assume we'll keep shooting some of them down. <laughs> I mean, again, you know, it's, it's unmanned objects. The, it's just the cost of, you know, the is it, you know, half a million dollars for a missile to shoot the thing down? Yes. The question of, you know, what are the odds that this is something that poses a significant risk that's worth doing if there's some percentage odds there? I don't know what they are. Yeah. Um, thank you all very much. Okay, next we have to talk about this. We've learned a lot about that toxic train derailment in Ohio. It turns out the trains have gotten less safe over the past decade. We're going to explain why and how the next accident could happen in any of our neighborhoods. It's been two weeks since that train of toxic chemicals derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. Adults and children are still getting sick, and people there are demanding answers. Are my kids safe? Are the people safe? Is the future of this community safe? Why are people getting sick and nothing in the air or in the water? I had concerns with dead fish and small water. I thought it's fine. If you couldn't hear all that, I mean, they were just yelling there as out of frustration, saying that there are dead fish in all of the creeks and, and lakes and the, the air smells and the water smells. So who's to blame for this disaster? Back with me, CNN political analyst Natasha Alford, L.A. Times op-ed columnist L.Z. Granderson, Josh Barrow, host of the Very Serious Podcast and political consultant Chapin Fay. Um, so, Natasha, it turns out that um, having read now in the past two weeks about some of this, railroads have gotten less safe 
over the past decade. They have, railroad companies have cut costs. They have cut their workforce. So there are fewer people manning all of this. They have, at the same time, increased the train length. The weight of the train has grown over the past decade, and they've filled them with more hazardous chemicals, Mm -hmm. all of which make them harder to stop. Mm -hmm. So this didn't have to happen, but in some ways it was bound to happen. That's right. And when President Obama proposed certain rail safety measures, uh, the Trump administration met that with reversal, right? Uh, Donald uh, Trump you know, promoted himself as business friendly, industry friendly. And so while that works well when you are campaigning and people love the sound of that, again, Trump uh, trusting Donald Trump as a businessman, what that actually meant was a less safe uh, environmental situation, right? And people are living this right now, the consequences of it. Just to put a finer point on what Natasha just said, Chapin, basically there was, uh, in 2015, President Obama issued this safety rule for trains. I'll read it for you. The safety rule issued in 2015 required electronically controlled brakes, which apply braking simultaneously across a train rather than rail car by rail car over a span of seconds. He wanted it to be installed by 2023. The rule only applied to certain high hazard flammable trains. Case in point, the Trump administration repealed that brakes requirement three years later. If this train had had that, it did not. It would have been able to, well, experts have said it would have been able to stop before derailment. Yeah, that was a mistake. Um, when you're, you know, conservatives and Republicans ever since, you know, the time immemorial have talked about cutting regulations. Uh, in my mind, that doesn't mean safety regulations. Um, it doesn't mean, um, you know, exactly what you said, things that will make um, our transportation system safer. Um, there is a lot of blame to go around for this situation, and I'm sure we'll get to all of it. Um, but the overall point I like to make is our train system is like light years behind uh, almost every other developed place in the world. Um, you know, getting places in China takes, you know, a couple of hours where, you know, you have to board a flight here in America to do the same thing. Um, but yes, you know, t- getting rid of safety regulations just for the sake of saying I'm a, you know, tax cutter, regulation cutter uh, is, a, is a mistake. I was stunned to read that our nation's railway system is still stuck with post-Civil War era technology. And, and, and yet, rail derailments have actually gotten significantly less common over the last 20 years. We had about, about a third less per, per mile that these trains travel in terms of having derailments. In so terms think, of derailments? Know, that's interesting that you say yeah. that, Josh, because what I had read is that they're, they're, they're um, sort of crunching the numbers differently because now they have so many more cars on each train. They've added more cars. It's gotten longer. So if you add 26 more cars on there... They, that can derail, but it counts somehow different than the whole train derailing. I don't know how to explain it, but they're using different numbers. There was a significant decline in the number of train miles in 2008 with the with the recession that makes sense, and it got back up to about the same levels with a significantly lower number of, of train derailments. And then, the, as with a lot of things with the pandemic, things went a little bit haywire. There was a significant decline in train traffic, at least initially. But it, my understanding is that mainly has to do with higher quality of the tracks, that you have fewer broken rails. So that's separate from the braking issue. Obviously, there's a lot of different regulations, a lot of different safety considerations, and a lot of things that you can get wrong here. Um, I just think it's wor- worth noting that we've had certain improvements there. And the U.S. has a relatively high reliance on freight rail compared to trucking, compared to Europe, for example. And that has environmental benefits. It has benefits in terms of reducing wear and tear and traffic on highways. And so I think it's, you know, it's, it's imp- the, clear, this, this was, this was a, a regulatory mistake. They should have had this sort of braking system requirement on these trains. But there's also significant value in having the reliance that we have on freight rail for transportation. And so it's a matter of, you know, finding the right set of regulations to reduce the frequency of, of derailments further, to, re- to especially focus on these trains.
trains would be especially hazardous if they did derail. Yes. But it's sort of, you know, the, 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 this, this one horrible event happened. Um, but you have, you know, the, the, the choices that we will make on regulation are not just about not repeating this one specific instance. It's about ma- building a system that is safer overall. I, 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 don't, I just don't think it's about the train. What do you think it's about? I think it's about our attitudes about each other. I think it's about capitalism and morality buddy heads. Because let's, let's string this together, right? So Jackson, Mississippi, right? Constantly having water issues. We know about Flint. There's still neighborhoods that have lead pipes, and we already know the science behind that. We continually put money in front of people. So, yes, we can talk about the deregulation. We can talk about the Trump administration, the Biden administration, and the Obama administration to this one incident. But I think it's a part of a larger systemic issue, which is we have a hard time putting people first. Yeah. We, and they, uh, by the way, these train, these railroad companies have gotten very wealthy over the same time that these regulations have rolled back. This was in 2021. The chairman of the Rail Shippers Association at their big annual meeting said since 2010, the railroad owners have taken home more than an astounding $183 billion in buybacks and dividends, far more than the $138 billion spent on railroad infrastructure. Well, I mean, I guess that's a proud moment for them. And, and a larger picture in terms of this moment and what it could mean for the Biden administration is the emphasis on infrastructure. The everyday person might not understand why that matters. Uh, when you know President Biden was able to get through legislation focused on infrastructure, it doesn't really connect on a heart level. Unless when you have you a crumbling see, bridge. Exactly. Yeah. When bridges fall, when trains derail... This is an opportunity to tell the story, to own the story, and to say, this is why the accomplishment matters. This is why we have to finish the job, as he said at the State of the Union. That legislation also has significant money for replacing those lead pipes. So it's, right. it's, it's something that, it, that is a focus for the administration. Yeah, it's just not happening fast enough. No, but at all. The Biden administration has done nothing over the last two weeks. I mean, uh, the president, uh, the transportation secretary have still not been there. President Trump's going to beat them to it. Um, he did announce that he's going next week, right, yes. President Trump? Yes. Um, and is it important for President for for Pete Buttig- Secretary Buttigieg and President Biden to go? And the reason I ask that is because the EPA was there at 2 a.m. the morning after it happened. So they're there. They're testing. They're monitoring the water. They're monitoring the air. Is it important for the president to go and walk around? Yes. I, people are nervous. I mean, all the Biden administration is doing is saying, "I don't know" to all of these things, and to you know, the EPA just said, "Trust us. Trust the government." Well, the trust in government has eroded. You know, many of my panel, co-panelists here will say that's because of the Trump administration. But either way, it, no, it is a fact. No, 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 but either way, it's a fact. I didn't say anything about it's the Trump administration. I said it's the country's attitude towards taking care of people first. Yeah, so why isn't the president there then? I mean, to the point of being, you know, commiserator in chief and going there and walking around with people. I haven't the slightest idea why he decided not to visit that particular site. It's just like I had no idea why he waited as long as he did to visit the border. There are a lot of things he's done in terms of, I guess, public eye, in terms of image that I do not approve of, but you look at his policies and you look at the effectiveness of the policies and you ask yourself, do you want him to do a photo op or do you want him to get to work? Yeah, I mean, maybe they can do both. So oh, we'll you see. can do both. Yeah, and particularly since President Trump has announced that he's going to go there, we'll see if the White House says Is he going to take hold of the 2019 rollback or the 2018 rollback while he's there? We'll ask. We'll see. Uh, friends, thank you very much. So there's this high school near Los Angeles that's ditching honors classes because those honors classes did not enroll enough black and Latino students. So this is an effort to achieve equity, but of course some parents are very upset about it. They say it's hurting high-achieving students. We discuss all of that next 
Culver City, California is cutting all of its high school honors classes because, they say, there are not enough black and Latino students enrolled. This week, parents lined up at a school board meeting to express their frustration. Designate honors classes under the University of California system, eliminating any competitive advantage to students who have who have taken honors classes while having in the college admission process. What we need is to give our students more opportunities, not less choices. And we can provide an on-ramp for traditionally underrepresented groups to take to taking AP classes in the future. Meanwhile, in Florida, there were protests as Governor Ron DeSantis hinted that he might drop AP classes altogether after rejecting that pilot course in African-American studies. Let's discuss all of this back with my panel. Um, Natasha, you are a resident teacher. As you know, I turned to you. You you taught in uh, public school for Mm -hmm. three years. Mm -hmm. I can't believe how often during these conversations I do turn to you because there's so much happening in education right now. But is the answer to more inclusion getting rid of honors classes? I don't think it's the answer. And I'm going to actually put my student hat on right now and say that I lived this. I was in a gifted and talented program in a public city school district, and the program went away. And that was heartbreaking for me because that was the one time in the week where I actually felt challenged uh, and excited to you know, get out of my classroom. Did it go away for the same reason? It went away for budgetary reasons. And so this is what I want to highlight, that it's really an issue of access. So the problem that they are responding to is real, but the way that they've decided to handle it, I actually think is wrong. Uh, 15% of high school students, uh, 15% of the population population of high school students are black and Latino, but only 9% are actually in AP classes. Some of the reason for that is teacher bias, right? A lack of recruitment. So so why would you take the class away uh, to supposedly create equity rather than say, are there black students who I'm not looking at as uh, you know capable enough, who really I need to raise my expectations for them and say that they can meet this bar? I think we can do better, and I don't think this is the solution. Shaven, how do you think they should handle it? Well, well I totally agree. Um, lowering the bar is uh, you know to to to, which, to to at the expense of high achieving students to help lower achieving students, which it really doesn't do. All it does is is bring the curricular rigor down. Um, it runs contrary to everything America is all about. Uh, I think uh, maybe a look at um, elementary school education in that, in that area uh, is warranted. Um, the answer here is to figure out, maybe study, maybe it'll take years, maybe it'll take be sooner, find out why black and Latino students are enrolling in, in lower numbers or not at all, and figure out early on when they get to the point of choosing classes why they're not choosing that. It could be something as far back as kindergarten, and that's I think system. they have figured that out. The achievement gap does start in kindergarten. It, uh, you're so right. It does depend on um, access. There's a million things you could be doing, little things, big things, but just getting rid of something that challenges certain students for other students is, is the wrong approach completely, entirely. Yeah. Josh? I mean, the, the quality of the research on this is, is not as great as I would have hoped that it was. But uh, basically, I mean, it seems to the, it seems to depend on exactly how you do the tracking. You have some school districts where you have lower track uh, courses where the expectations are just very low and they don't put good resources into them and you get poor performance from the students who you put in those. If those if those classes are adequately resourced, it doesn't appear that tracking actually hurts those students in the way that it does where you don't resource them. And there do, do appear to be benefits for students who are tracked in, in, into the high classes. So I think it depends on how these, how these districts execute on 
on this. There's also, I mean, there's a lot of nuance. Almost no school district is like completely tracked or completely untracked. Culver City will continue to have AP English, and so we will see whether this. I thought will, they were getting rid of it. No, they're getting rid of the honors sequence, but oh, there'll I still see. be AP. So there's two different things. There's right. AP, which is the College Board courses, right. and then there's honors, which they, I guess, control the high school themselves. Right. Exactly. So we'll, you know, part of the Culver City says they're doing this because they don't think enough Hispanic students are enrolling in AP English. They actually, the black enrollment actually is about proportional in that district. So if they will see when they go through this change, did they actually achieve the thing that they were looking to achieve? But I'm, some of these moves more broadly, I'm concerned that you have schools reacting to achievement gaps by doing things that make it harder to even measure whether there is an achievement gap, where you're trying to move away from testing. Uh, if you don't have tracking, then you don't have statistics about who's be- getting put into the tracked classes. And so you can do that, and you may not actually be closing the achievement gap, but it's harder for people to look at any statistic and mm. see your, say, see your school district has an achievement gap. And so yeah. I, think, I think that's a significant mistake. Elsie, is this about race or is it about um, socioeconomic status? Because also there are, we have a graph that we can pull up in terms of honor students, um, the wealthiest, the richest kids are in honors classes three times uh, more than what the kids in the lowest classes are, socioeconomically. Well, I mean, it's almost impossible to separate the two in, separate the, yeah, in this country, right? I mean, it's just a byproduct of the way this country was founded and where we are today. It's hard to have a socioeconomic conversation and not have it be tied to race. I think it's complete trash to get rid of the AP courses, um, in part because students who graduate with AP courses are able to transfer them and be able to use them to help graduate from college. That's a money-saving measure as well. So it isn't just about achievement in high school. It's about saving pennies on the other side. I mean, if you are going to, to get an associate's degree, taking AP courses can get you like almost a fourth of the way there, depending upon what time you start. So I'm more concerned about how does this impact students financially on the opposite end that you get rid of these AP courses? And as your race question is concerned, listen, especially when it comes to DeSantis, a founding member of the, what, the Freedom Caucus, the, the person who, after the primary, said, let's not monkey up the, the budgets in Florida in regards to his candidate, his opponent, who happens to be black. I think when it comes to DeSantis specifically, he doesn't mind using these opportunities to blow a, do- to blow a dog whistle. But I think holistically, in terms of the, our conversation as a whole, it's about resources. And I hate the fact that kids who could be using this as a leg up for college are getting this leg taken away from them. Here's what the superintendent in the Culver City School District says. Parents say academic excellent, excellence should not be experimented with for the sake of social justice. But it was very jarring when teachers looked at their AP enrollment and realized black and brown kids were not there. They felt obligated to do something. And that's what I hate about this moment right now in this country. We lack such nuance in these conversations. So all of a sudden it becomes about wokeness. When you try to, when you take a principle of doing the right thing, but the execution is poor, now you want to throw away the whole effort. That is a problem. Our language has changed in this country for how we talk about race. So segregated neighborhoods, Right. Created these systems where you can say, you know, my my child lives in a better zip code. They have a better school. But I'm not racist for that. Right. The system isn't racist. But it was it was based on the premise of separating black people and white people, not allowing them to live together, not allowing us to realize what integration would actually look like. So um, we people have found ways to get around talking about what this is really about. Mm -hmm. Thank you all. Great conversation. All right, now this. Imagine moving into your new home when suddenly the doors lock. You can't get out. The smart devices in your home have turned against you. That happened to my next guest. We'll speak with him in just a moment. At first, they may seem great. Controlling the temperature of your home from your phone. How convenient. 
controlling your music from your iPad. But what if you could not change the temperature or the volume anymore? What if someone else gained control of your smart home? That's what happened when Clint Basinger moved into his new home. His first night, as he was unpacking, all of a sudden he heard a voice saying this. Good night. It's bedtime. (laughs) Then the doors and windows locked. The motion sensors went on and he was trapped. Clint joins me now. Uh, Clint, that sounds really creepy. Um, What happened? Yeah, it's just, as you said, my first night, my first home, really excited and just doing some late unpacking and 11.30 p.m. rolls around and I hear a voice of some kind echoing through the hallway and I wasn't sure at all what that could possibly be. I was alone in the house, I thought, and uh, it turned out that, yeah, the the home said something like it's bedtime, the home is armed. I heard armed. I didn't know what that meant. So Mm -hmm. I just continued unpacking and went to uh, open the door and all of a sudden realized that the door was locked off, you know, an alarm was sounding. I'm like, what what happened? I (laughs) had no idea what was going on in in place that I wasn't aware of because as a new homeowner, I, I thought that I was aware of, you know, I had the keys, I had everything else going. I knew I had a smart thermostat, but I wasn't aware of all of the other sensors. So basically what happened was the previous owner had this smart system, but hadn't shared it with you? Yeah, it, I, there was another panel that I was not fully made aware of. I, I guess I had seen it, but I thought it was just part of the thermostat system. I mean, you know, the, there was the controls for that. They showed me how that worked. It was very simple to previous ones I'd used, you know, uh, it looked fine, but this other stuff, the voices, I didn't know what the voices were. I was never told about those. And I was certainly never told that there was this routine that would come on at 1130, their bedtime routine. And I went to go look at the screen and it was all locked off. It said the house was armed. It was bedtime. I'm like, no, I'm not going to go to, you can't tell me to go to bed. You're my house. (laughs) But of course it was locked off. I didn't have the the pin number or the account. And uh, I really wasn't sure what to do at that point, except I guess just I went to bed. You know, there were motion sensors in the living room. <laughs> Every time I moved in the living room, the motion sensor would go off, and then there was lights and alarms. So I, I just went to bed. Yeah, I guess the house can tell you <laughs> when to go to bed. But but the next day, you tried to call the previous owner, and you thought that he would give you access to the account, but you found out it's not that easy. So what happened? Right. So I got in touch with my realtor and, you know, they went back and forth and they got me the information to get a PIN number and put in my own uh, account on this panel. And so I was able to put in a a guest account, but the previous owner, since it was, I guess this is all registered under their information and their name and uh, the system itself was just attached to them. I didn't have any of that information and, you know, it doesn't really make sense for them to hand all of that over. So yeah, I got a, a guest account. I'm still technically a guest in my own home uh, as a result because the so, panel is set up that way. Right. So now you, the owner, and the previous owner both control your house. In theory. I haven't seen any evidence of there being a tampering when I'm not there. But, you know, yeah, it's still under the previous owner's information. So, and yeah, that it's, it's not fully mine, so to speak. Because you also found out that in order to get a new account, you would have to start all over. You would have to 
basically install an entire new smart system at great cost. And so it's just easier to be a guest in your own home, in your own smart home with this. Do you ever worry that the previous owner will do something to screw with you? <laughs> no, I really, I really don't. But, you know, the possibility is there and it's just always kind of in the back of my mind, like, ah, oh, you know, this, this doesn't feel quite as it should be. You know, I, I would have liked this, uh, to have been either completely disabled and handed over or something. And, you know, I went to go and check to see if it was able to just get it all switched over. And while it could be done, it was a bit of a hassle. And they're like, well, you should probably just get a whole nother system anyway, because it's so fully integrated into the HVAC and the temperature sensors and these other sensors. So uh, the fact that it would be such a hassle and uh, the, the upgrade path is now different because uh, the, the Old system used 3G, and 3G is no longer a cell service available anymore. So they're like, oh, you should upgrade to the 4G version, and you may as well just get a whole new account that way. And it's like, I don't know if I want to now. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, what happened to a light switch? You know, like, did that really need to be improved upon, a light switch? I miss them. Um, Clint, thank you very much for sharing that creepy and frustrating story. Uh, we really appreciate hearing about how your smart home went crazy Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, guys, I mean, I, I have this very same problem. I can't control the thermostat in my own bedroom because it's like an iPad and you need a password. So I can't. What happened to thermostat? All right. Hold those thoughts. Just how safe is all of our information with smart home technology listening in? OK, we're going to talk to the group about all of this next. Back with us now, Natasha Alford, LZ Granderson, Josh Barrow, and Chapin Fay. So uh, that was creepy. I mean, hearing from Clint. So basically, he the night he moves in, he's unpacking his boxes. In the middle at midnight, he hears, "Good night, it's bedtime." And suddenly, <laughs> the doors lock, the the windows are armed, the motion detectors go on, and he doesn't know what's happening. It's terrifying. If you saw The Watcher and you felt creeped out watching that show, this is like living it. Um, I think we exchange a little bit of power and freedom every time we turn to smart technology to run some aspect of our lives. Uh, usually, whatever the benefit is, you know, outweighs that trade-off in our mind, but sometimes I don't think we realize how much. I know I went on vacation once and the battery died on one of our systems, and it was just like we just couldn't see what was happening around the house. That's a problem. We fixed it, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> but I agree with you. Like, we think it's freedom, but in fact, we're trapped in it. Mm -hmm. We're trapped in it. I mean, I was, I was just telling you guys before the commercial break, I can't control the, the temperature in my bedroom because it's not just an old-fashioned thermostat where you used to go this way or this way. It's complicated. You have to plug in a password, a username. It's all on an iPad. Why? Why are we making I, these better? Weren't they just good enough? No, the, the, the news, I, I love this stuff. It, it drives my <laughs> husband crazy. I've put a, all, of, all of this stuff in. But, like, I have a Nest thermostat, so yeah. if I'm coming home and it's hot out, I can turn the air conditioning on before I get home. If I leave the house and I've forgotten to turn it off, I can turn it off from my it phone. Does sound good. Yeah. No, I, like, I, I lay in bed at night and I want to turn the lights off. I just yell out to Alexa to turn off all the lights, and she does it. She does it? Yeah, absolutely, she does it. I, even, my, even my oven connects to the Wi-Fi. Okay, now, see, so you're and tripping. I, no, and I, I used to, <laughs> 
it's now. Like, that's a lot. It's like I put I put something in the in the oven for dinner at six and it's off and I go out to this bar um, and I'm there with my friends and We're like half, a lot. Yeah, half an hour before we come home from dinner I can turn the oven on from my phone. I can even put the temperature probe in the meat so I can look and see on my phone how the meat's doing it when, does? I need to, it, when I need to leave it and go home. It measures the temperature yes. of the meat for yeah. you. Yeah. I just want and you to know you're like, not cooking by the way. Yeah. You are not cooking. I'm absolutely cooking. Home cooked meal. That is not a home cooked meal. Yes, it is. Well, it's it's a home cooked meal, but but remotely, not by your home. Yes, my home is actually cooking that. Yeah, literally. No, so I mean, obviously, you don't want someone else to set up these systems for you. And there's, we we had a little issue where I turned on Alexa hunches, where like Alexa guesses you're not home and turns off the lights. Uh But but Alexa was only following me, so it worked fine for me. But then I would leave the house, and like all the lights would turn off when my husband was there. So that's you know, some of these things need to be fixed. But you know, you're making it sound good, but also a little too space age. I mean, it does sound good. You're making, you're letting me know how it's convenient. Yeah. But what if it goes wrong? Well, then you fix it. Like, you know, it's the, it's the, the oven's not going to burn the house down. It might burn the chicken. But, mm. you know, I like, you know, we, we learn, we increment on these things. But it, mostly it's, it, it makes my life a little bit better. Chapin? Arnold Schwarzenegger warned us about this in 1984, <laughs> that the computers were going to become self-aware and destroy <laughs> us all. And it's time to find uh, Cyberdyne and destroy it. And I think we just found it. It's in Josh's apartment. <laughs> when, when, the, when, the, when the robots come to get us because of IE, uh, AI, we know exactly where to go to uh, destroy the center of it. It's your apartment. What do you do when you have poor signal or when the Internet goes out? For, for instance, like my husband is the, pro, is the tech guy, right? Yeah. And the Internet has gone out and we can't get in the garage because we can't, it won't connect because the phone and blah, blah, blah. We can't turn on the music. We can't turn on lights. Because the internet has gone out. What do you do when that happens? That just turns my smart home into a dumb home. I mean, I can still, I can still go up to the thermostat and change the thermostat, even, even if the internet is off. Oh, that's I can good, still press can't. a light switch. Why can't it just be off? home? Why does it got to be dumb? <laughs> <laughs> you got to have a backup yeah. plan with all of this. I think that's the takeaway, right? right. When the battery goes out, when yeah. the Wi-Fi goes out, make sure you're not stranded. Because not to get too serious on us, but with climate change and all of these disasters that are happening, like I think we, ha- we have to be ready for the technology to not be there. Yes, but also, furthermore, there is a serious side, which is that if you're sharing a home with somebody and that person controls it all and that person moves out, they still control it all. And there are all sorts of stories of people tormenting um, the previous (laughs) person that they were living with by turning up speakers, turning on and off lights. You know, we do give away a lot of control because we think it's freedom, but in fact, it can torment you. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yes, not we won't that mention I'm, any names. No, we're not mentioning any <laughs> names. I'm sure it's nobody on our floor crew whatsoever. No, this is actually serious. But I mean, when you look at the list, we have a smart home tech of all of the things that people have now surrendered their control to. I mean, you you can barely see this. You need a, uh, a microscope because there's so many things that I mean, particularly the kitchen, as you were saying. Look at all of these conveniences. Like, it's great. My, if, if someone leaves my fridge door open, I know. It tells me. Explain to me, how does the smart home tech help you work out? Yeah. That's right. Does oh, it do okay. the lifting for you? It, well, you have a Peloton bike, which yeah, is... I have a Peloton. We, we, I have a Peloton. Okay, so yes. that's so a very that's smart a bike. Yes. It, it'll just start pedaling for you. Yeah, it, you can sit on the couch. If only. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, and then, yeah, basically it just... You don't just have to go downstairs and ride a stationary bike. You have all sorts of, like, bells and whistles. Okay. Happening. All right. Oh, now you like it. Now we've won. Well, I mean, I use it, so I can't yeah. be all judgmental right. now. <laughs> all right, you guys, stick around. Uh, we have an important segment coming up. Fox News hosts are revealing the secret that they knew about Trump's election lies, but they didn't want to tell their viewers. We're going to go through the text exchanges.
Now to the court filing that pulls back the curtain on how Fox misleads its viewers. The Dominion Voting System's $1.6 billion lawsuit against Fox reveals that its hosts, including Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, and Laura Ingram, all knew that former President Trump's claims of election fraud were complete nonsense. They privately ridiculed them as ludicrous and, quote, off the rails, but they promoted those fraudulent claims on the air to their viewers day after day. CNN's Sunland Sarfati has more. Is the fix already in? It is a damning indictment of Fox News. The outcome of our presidential election was seized from the hands of voters. As a network publicly and repeatedly promoted former President Trump's 2020 election fraud claims to millions of their viewers. Every American should be angry. You should be outraged. You should be worried. You should be concerned at what has happened in the election and in the lead up to this election. Privately, top anchors and executives mock Trump's lies, calling them ludicrous, really crazy stuff and totally off the rails. The revelations coming from hundreds of pages of newly released evidence in the legal filing as part of the Dominion Voting System's lawsuit against Fox News. In this text exchanged two weeks after the election, Tucker Carlson texting other Fox News hosts. Sidney Powell is lying, by the way. I caught her. It's insane. He says about Trump's lawyer, Sidney Powell, and Rudy Giuliani's unfounded claims. Sidney is a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy, Laura Ingram wrote back. Tucker responds, it's unbelievably offensive to me. Our viewers are good people and they believe it. Even as those same hosts went on the air arguing completely otherwise. All right, these election challenges are still going on and disturbing irregularities have been found and must be investigated to the fullest. On election night, the network first to call Arizona for Biden. The Fox News decision desk is calling Arizona for Joe Biden. That is a big get for the Biden campaign. As Trump's baseless conspiracy theories started to take hold. This is a fraud on the American public. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. Carlson wrote his producer warning that Trump could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. The court documents showing a scramble behind the scenes as viewers rebelled against Fox for calling the contest in Biden's favor and a course correction internally to prioritize profitability over the truth. After Fox News reporter Jackie Henrich fact-checked a Trump tweet about votes being destroyed, Tucker Carlson texting his colleagues, please get her fired. Seriously, what the F? It's measurably hurting the company. The stock price is down. Fox News in a statement argues the court filing contains cherry-picked quotes lacking context. As Fox News hosts continue this week to sow doubt. Was the 2020 election a miracle? Honestly, we don't know. We don't expect to get an answer to it tonight. And the documents also revealing on January 6th, Trump tried to call into Fox Business to get on air, but the network refused, saying it would be irresponsible and could impact a lot of people in a negative way. And this public versus private narrative extended all the way up to the highest levels of Fox. Chairman Rupert Murdoch, according to these court documents, he did not believe Trump's election lies. And not only did he say in an email weeks after the election that the Trump team's claims were really crazy stuff and damaging, but he even floated the idea of having Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram appear together in prime time to declare Joe Biden as the rightful winner of the election, something Allison that a of course, never ended up happening. Sunland Servati, thank you.
Here with me, CNN political analyst Natasha Alford, legal analyst Joey Jackson, a criminal defense attorney, political commentator Errol Lewis, and political consultant Chapin Fay. Errol, um, this is not new. It's not new. This has always been Fox's mission statement. At any cost, keep the audience. They were not set up as a news organization. They do not follow the rules of a news organization. They were set up as a ratings machine. And so their biggest fear is and has always been, I mean, I was told this directly many times by Roger Ailes, you cannot lose the audience. You cannot lose the audience. And so tell them whatever they want to hear. Make them feel good about their world belief. Do not challenge their world belief. And the fact that it's now in black and white for everybody to read, that's the stunning part. Yeah, it really is remarkable. I mean, there is a place, even as a journalist, there's a place to be concerned about, you know, the stock price of your parent company or whether or not some politician is going to take on your uh, organization or even whether or not you're going to lose viewers to your rival, in this case, Newsmax. That place is not the newsroom, though. That's not supposed to dictate the questions you ask in the White House briefing room. That's not supposed to dictate what the statisticians in the, uh, on election night are going to tell you about what happened in Arizona or anywhere else. And it so completely took control of this organization. They just completely lost their way, and they are going to pay a very serious price. I mean, the posture of this case, they are fighting very hard to not let a jury get their, their hands on this because a jury of ordinary New Yorkers or, or Delaware residents or Americans in general, when they see what went on here, they're not going to like it at all. Speaking of the Newsmax thing, Chapin, um, they were so afraid after the election that Newsmax was peeling off their viewers because Newsmax was tacking to the right and saying, you know, if possible, even crazier, worse, more garbage and information. So Tucker Carlson texts uh, his producer, do the executives understand how much credibility and trust we've lost with our audience? We're playing with fire for real. An alternative like Newsmax could be devastating to us. And then to what Errol was saying, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to the Jackie Henrik part later, because when a real journalist sneaks in, they don't like that. But in any event, they were worried that Newsmax was going to steal their, their viewers. Yeah, and it's a real concern. And, you know, uh, like both of you have ha- had stated, uh, sort of, I mean, this is the problem with corporate media and a corporate America. I mean, the profit is what drives everyone. And, and, and the way you make that profit is keeping the audience, keeping the eyeballs, fighting for clicks, and um, a lot of companies, uh, I don't think this is a Fox News problem. I think this is an, an American problem, maybe even a global problem um, of the tension between um, news, audiences and entertainment. I would argue a lot of the shows that build themselves on a lot of networks uh, as news are actually not news. They're entertainment. Fine. But it doesn't always lead to an insurrection. In other words, when you masquerade as a news organization, peep the people your viewers believe that they're getting real information. And so the crying shame is when you know the real information, you're mocking the guests who come on, and one minute later, you're touting them as though they're giving your viewers real information. And by the way, it shows how little respect they have for their viewers. They don't trust their viewers to to know the truth, to be able to handle the truth. I guess they think their viewers are too fragile or too dumb to to see the truth if they had just given it to them. Yeah, I think it's a big problem. I, I, I really do. Um, I, I would find it, you know, a little hard to blame Fox News, you know, for the insurrection, although there is plenty of uh, blame to go around for that, uh, you know, a disastrous point in, in, in our history, um, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not blaming them. I'm just blaming the misinformation. And I think that you play with fire and we saw what happens. Agreed. But, yeah. And, and, and one more thing, Natasha. Mm-hmm. There is, so there are real journalists there. They, they Real journalists do go and work there. One of them is named Jackie Henrich. She, Heinrich. She was fact-checking one of Donald Trump's bits of misinformation. And then this is the treatment that she got. Tucker uh, 
told Sean Hannity, please get her fired. Seriously, what the F? I'm actually shocked. It needs to stop immediately, like tonight. It's measurably hurting the company. The stock price is down. Not a joke. In other words, don't let the facts get out there. It's egregious. Um, It's terrifying. And I mean, it certainly is not uh, something that would make a real journalist want to gravitate towards that organization. So God bless the ones who actually are there still trying to do their job. I think history is informative. You know, 1968, Kerner Commission report. uh, We're looking at riots all across America and destruction and anger and racial division. They said that the media played a role in that. The media perpetuated this idea of two Americas. It didn't really report about what was happening in black communities. And therefore, there was a lack of understanding across groups. And so Fox News perpetuates that legacy today, uh, feeding this idea that there are two Americas and, you know, again, insulting their audience's intelligence. Um, Errol just said, Joey, that Fox News is going to pay the price. Are they going to pay the price? I really do believe that. And I believe that sincerely. Uh, So listen to these words, right? Knowledge of falsity, or reckless disregard as to the truth. Knowledge of falsity, reckless disregard as to the truth. You have a solemn responsibility as a journalist. It's one thing if you're reporting fair comment, and that is with respect to what the president is espousing, believing, and his crew is believing as to the election. It's another thing if you're embracing that as fact and delivering that to your audience. You have knowledge as to that falsity clearly, and if you don't, there's reckless disregard as to the truth. Why do I say that? Because around the lawsuit is a legal standard, and that is the legal standard upon which this is going to be evaluated. And when you match that legal standard, Allison, against the facts that you're talking about, right, we hear them as journalists going on, oh, real problems, is the election stolen? This is, it doesn't look good. But behind the scenes, really alluding to people as nutbags, I mean, I'm kind of embellishing, but essentially saying that this is ridiculous. We know these claims. This is damning evidence that ultimately, Errol pointed out, they're trying to keep it from a jury. But if you get it to people who have reasonable minds, right, and reasonable views, I think they're going to reject this and otherwise indicate that they violated that statement. But what if Fox says, as they do, this is freedom of the press? You have, listen, there's a First Amendment right that we hold very dear in this country. And you have a right based upon that First Amendment to say things that you want to say. But you know what? You can't defame another person because that's where it crosses the line. Your right to say what you want to say stops when it impedes somebody else's right. You can't yell fire in a theater. We've all heard that before. And so there's limitations. You want to report things, report them. You want to espouse them as fact? then pay the price because there was knowledge of falsity or reckless disregard. You know, it's interesting because Dominion Systems, they're making the case that they were just roadkill on the way to Fox trying to hold its audience and get ratings and make money or whatever it was they were after. Um, the, the reality, though, is that this is a company that operates, I think, in 26 states, 28 states. They say that they've lost out on over $100 million worth of business because there are local jurisdictions who are saying, you know, Dominion steals elections. They're unreliable. They're, you know, they're run by Hugo Chavez's ghost or something like that. For whatever reason, they say they've lost out on business. And so there's defamation per se, just, you know, lying about somebody can defame them. But they're also saying there's some tangible harm here and they want to take that to a jury and they're asking for over a billion dollars. Quick, quick point, Allison. The reason that's so significant is because you have to establish damages. It's one thing just to espouse things and no one cares and it doesn't represent any true detriment to your company. It's another thing to espouse things that really damage you. And that's why they're suing for a billion and change. This was damaging and impaired their brand and it was not true. It will be really interesting to see what happens next. Thank you all for that. Okay, when we come back, the stunt that Tiger Woods pulled the other day that 
may make you wonder whether he's 47 or 7. All right, I'll tell you about it. He uh, handed his playing partner, Justin Thomas, a tampon after he outdrove him in a PGA Tour event. Translation, you play like a girl. Um, He's, of course, one of the biggest names in sports, and he's also the dad of an athletic daughter. So we'll discuss it all next. Tiger Woods is apologizing for a joke he played on the golf course this week, the 15-time major champion handing fellow golfer Justin Thomas a tampon during the first round of the Genesis Invitational yesterday, implying that Justin plays like a girl. Woods says he did not mean to offend anyone. It was supposed to be, you know, all fun and games, but obviously it, it hasn't turned out that way. And if I had offended anybody, it was not the case. It was just... Uh, Friends having having fun, and um, as I said, if, if I offended anybody in any way, shape, or form, I'm sorry. Um, it was not intended to be that way. Um, it's just, you know, we, we play pranks on one another all the time, and uh, virally, I, I think this did not come across that way, but between us, it was it's different. Joining me now, CNN sports analyst Christine Brennan. Her new column in USA Today calls out Tiger Woods. Uh, Christine, great to see you. Um, So, Christine, why can't this just be a sophomoric joke between two friends? It could, Allison. Uh, As I wrote in the column, and as I'll say to you right now, it's certainly not the biggest deal in the world. We have many other issues. You've been talking about them on the show uh, that are more important than Tiger Woods and a tampon. Tampon gate is, I guess, we're now calling it. Uh, the issue here, though, is, and you said it in uh, before the commercial, he's a 47-year-old man. He's not 17. He's not seven. He is the father of a sports-playing daughter, a soccer player, 15-year-old Sam. Um, the idea that in 2023, that father, 47-year-old father, uh, is is doing tampon jokes with a colleague in the workplace, of course, visible for all to see, obviously also uh, the best known golfer probably ever, certainly one of the top two with Jack Nicklaus, uh, a role model for many. At a time, Allison, when the game of golf is absolutely desperate to attract some of the millions of Title IX women who are being pumped out of colleges with disposable income and athletic ability to play the game, but the game for generations has had a stop sign up saying, no women, you can't play. So throw it all together. And it was worthy, I think, of a column and a conversation here. Yeah. Uh, Christine, thank you for all of that. That really spells out, uh, gives it more context. So let me um, bring in our panel to hear what they have to say about this. LZ, is there anything funnier than the old tampon joke? (laughs) You know, it felt more like a running joke, right? Like it it triggers something they had discussed previously, right? And so he, he was supposed to get the interaction right away. Listen, Christine's right it's not the most important thing in the world, but it should be important to Tiger because he's an ambassador of the sport. He's an ambassador of the sports industry. And before we even get to, you know, his daughter, how about Michelle? You know, who was on tour and took all that heat and all that pressure of being a woman out on tour. Like, he was cognizant of that. He was playing well on tour when she was going through that. And it didn't seem as if any of that registered at any point when he decided to pull that joke. Yeah. Errol? Yeah, I mean, look, when he starts out by saying, if I offended anyone, you know, you almost want to cringe a little bit. It's like, here's somebody who is not even aware enough 
of how you actually do an apology. You know, you put yourself in the shoes of someone who was offended. You, you know, sort of uh, voice the pain that you have caused. And then maybe you try and sort of, you know, talk about what you're going to do in the future. He clearly doesn't take it all that seriously. It's worth noting that on this same course, the Riviera is where he made his debut at age 16. And apparently that's emotionally maybe where he stopped growing up, arrested <laughs> development. Um, and, and, you know, he, he does, hasn't, doesn't seem to have moved much beyond that. I bet his daughter is mortified. I, I don't know if it's arrested development, though. Well, but he does feel a little stunted. I mean, first of all, OK, it's a joke between friends and I and I and I take it at, at that face value. But on another level, just knowing what I know about Tiger just from being in the media he um, has bad judgment sometimes. <laughs> he has bad <laughs> right. judgment. And so he seems a little stunted. I mean, from everything that we've seen between his marriage, between the lack of judgment, between the car accident, between all sorts of things, he doesn't always exercise adult judgment. It just feels like an unforced error, just something that was just so unnecessary. And again, the choice to make it public, that's the part that confounds me because you know you're inviting everyone into the conversation when you do this on camera. So, you know, we live in a time where people are criticizing us for being politically correct. And so all of these conversations about gender are happening and you just didn't think that this would cause a problem. As a girl, I remember watching sports and and seeing that there was a difference in terms of the seriousness um, that, you know, society treated women in sports, uh, uh, women's sports. They just treated it differently than the way that they treated men's sports, from money to the excitement to uh, the sense of, you know, community around uh, getting excited about certain games. So, um, I wonder about the little girls who are kind of taking this message, already living in a society where there's shame around just having a period and menstruating. And I, I just don't feel good about it, you know? Yeah, I hear you. Listen, the reality is all of us are here as a result of the wonderful woman in the world, right? And so anything <laughs> offensive to that, I have to pivot against, uh, right? Have a mom, have a sister, have a lovely wife. My only issue mm-hmm. is I'm... I'm really thinking, it makes me wonder, what was the joke played on him that precipitated that? <laughs> I shudder right? to think. <laughs> right, I shudder to think what that was. And so that's why, to some degree, I reserve judgment, because I want to know what precipitated that. Yeah. And maybe we didn't catch that such that we know what this was yeah. all about. I mean, My imagination was trying to run through the sophomore <laughs> jokes from high school of like what that could possibly be. Yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I think it's also important that we don't just solely make it about emotion and say offensive, right? Because actually these jokes are attached to a hierarchy that actually imposes law, economy. I mean, when you think about like the, what was it, the pink tax, that if you wore a blouse and you took it to the dry cleaning, it would cost more. This is an extension of that. So it isn't just about the emotions and feeling offended. It's part of a larger messaging that he's undergirding. Christine, you've been listening to all this. I mean, what about my point that he doesn't exercise good judgment in public always? You, oh, you can say that again and again and again. I mean, my goodness, the car accident uh, uh, two years ago, um, terrible situation. Thankfully, he lived through it. Thankfully, he didn't kill a family as he crossed over the road, uh, basically torching his entire family life and his image back in 2009 with another car accident that led to losing sponsors and and many, many people realizing with the mistresses and, and the divorce that the tiger was not the guy they thought he was. Um, it, golf is a very much a boys club and a boys world and a uh, man's world. And that is something that the leaders of the game of golf are desperately trying to get women to play the game. 
And Tiger has done damage to that because you could foresee a situation where there's a young woman who's got so many sports options and looks at this and says, wait a minute, do I want to hang around a sport where a dude is giving a guy a tampon? in 2023. So um, Tiger's responsible for the growth of the game, the joy that he's shown to so many. I've covered all these majors. He is an incredible player and he has gotten to be, I think, more centered and grounded and nicer, frankly, with all the issues that have come along in his life and the difficult times. He's, he's playing on a, a, a leg that has been rebuilt. Um, he's giving it a go again at 47. Um, as, I, as we said, it's not the biggest deal in the world, but for those who are wondering what the real tiger is, that's the real tiger yucking it up in a misogynistic way uh, with his daughter at home. And let's hope he can try to explain what the heck he meant about you play like a girl to his daughter and to the girls out there who are watching him. Um, Christine, are we sure that he meant for the public to see it? I mean, he's 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 putting it into the palm of his friend's hand. Could it just have been a private joke between two friends? Oh, I think that was the case, Allison. Absolutely. Um, he was trying to slip it in there. If people haven't seen the video. It's very easy to find. Um, and the still pictures. Oh, for sure. And yeah, when he was I just, it was just a private night, joke. For sure you're saying it was a private joke or no, for sure he wanted the public I, to oh, see it. I am certain that he, in fact, the way he slipped it into his hand made it clear that he understood that he better keep this private, that uh -huh. this is a little secret on the side, which tells us even more. It speaks volumes about he do that he shouldn't be doing it. And he's also Tiger Woods. And as you said earlier, the cameras will be on him no matter what. So nice try, Tiger. That's not going to fly. Tiger's had cameras around him since he was a couple years old and playing on the Mike Douglas show with Bob Hope. So, you know, that's that's Tiger's life and he knows it as well as anyone. All right. Well, I see it differently. If it was just a private joke between friends. I mean, I don't want any of my private jokes with my friends broadcast <laughs> on television. Well um, stated. Yeah, so I see it, uh, I see it a little bit differently. Um, but, you know, I, whatever. I mean, I don't know what more we can say about this. Tiger is, Tiger is a phenom, but perhaps not on every level of humanity is he exercising the best judgment as he does on the golf course. Well, Everybody agree? I think that would be a very fair assessment. All right. Yes. All right. <laughs> Thank you all very much. Okay, meanwhile, uh, next we have CNN's presentation of HBO's Overtime with Bill Maher. So stick around for that, and then we will be back on the other side to talk about a lot more juicy stuff. Okay, now I'm going to turn it over to our friends at HBO. Each week, following Real Time with Bill Maher, Bill and his guests answer viewer questions, and they bring their unique perspectives to the topics that are driving the national conversation. So we're excited to bring you this lively discussion first, every Friday night. So here is Overtime with Bill Maher. Okay, here we are on CNN. Wow, I'm still so excited about this. And uh, the, our panel tonight, we had Academy Award-winning actor Christoph Waltz is on this show, MSNBC host Ari Melber, and ABC News analyst Sarah Isger. Okay. Um, first of all, you just said to me when you sat down, I mean, the last piece I was doing is about people in show business who <laughs> hate each other. Have you been on sets like that? Where... Well, of course. <laughs> 
Well, uh, right. I've been in sandboxes when I was five, right. playing with kids that I hated. It was about playing together, right. not about hating someone. But my point was, you know, you can hate each other and still make something great. And they've Absolutely. made many movies like that, and government should do it too. Okay. Uh, what, speaking of movies, what does the panel think of the climate activists who glued themselves to the red carpet at the Berlin Film Festival? Have you been to the Berlin Film Festival? Not when someone was glued to the red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Are these stunts effective or just an annoying disruption? <laughs> I, I Better that than throwing soup at priceless works of art. I'll take the glue on the red carpet. Nobody cares. Was it but was it, it natural glue? <laughs> <laughs> Vegan. Um, it's about sniffing glue. It's <laughs> Uh, YouTube star Mr. Beast is receiving backlash for... Are you familiar with Mr. Beast? Everyone familiar? I'm not. Okay. Mr. No? He's super popular. He's a big... He is very big. big. I have heard of Mr. Beast. I've never been to Cracker Barrel, but I've heard of Mr. Beast. (laughs) He is receiving backlash for funding cataract surgery. Oh, I did read this story. For a thousand people. He funded, yeah, a thousand people needed cataract surgery, and this guy's making a fortune as a YouTube star. I mean, how can you not? <laughs> if you can make money and do good for other people, isn't, okay, I don't know what that question is. But he got a well, lot of criticism. He got criticism. Because he that's, used it for ratings, and it's like, I think the people who got the cataract surgery no, aren't too pissed about no, it. No, that's not what the, a lot of the tweets were about, and these are from some, um, somebody in the Washington Post said this, somebody, I think, at BuzzFeed said this. They were criticizing him because... Their point is that um, you should not try to correct yourself if you're blind or deaf or something. That's like ableism. Like it's not, it's not worse to be blind. It's just different. And I, I would say if that was me, please help me. Yes. <laughs> so I, These also weren't involuntary surgeries. <laughs> But really, that, that, I mean, that's... Does the same thing go for literacy? Ah. <laughs> Great question. Um, Nikki Haley has called for politicians over 75 years old to, oh yes, to be required to take a mental health competency test. <laughs> I wonder who that's aimed at. <laughs> Um, both of them, right? I, mean, I think it's both. I think she's trolling. It allows her to draw attention to Biden. She's in a Republican primary, but it's a subtle hit on Trump. They're both older politicians. They have every right to run. People, the competency test is a really long campaign, and people will assess how they seem. But shouldn't we do that for everybody? Why just over 75? Because, I, 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 I mean... <laughs> over, over here, my... House of Representatives. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, the, there's only one age requirement. The Constitution has a minimum age, and that was because they were so worried about people passing things on to their famous sons at the time. Uh, there's no maximum age, but we have that for pilots and other things. But I, again, I think it's hard. If you've covered these things, you know how it is. It's hard to run for president. It we're going to see how they do. And then you're going to decide at the debates and other forums whether they seem like they got it. Well, and as Don Lemon told us on CNN, women actually can't run for president because he said we're past our prime once we get to our 40s. But since you have to be 35 to run, it's like this really tight window between 35 and 40. But but it presupposes that's the only way you can be mentally incompetent. I mean, I would take a guy who's 90 and forgets a few things, but he's seen a lot. 
in his life and has the experience. And, is, and of course, if, you're, if, you're, if you have you know, Alzheimer's and you're not there and you don't remember who your wife is, obviously that's a different story. But as opposed to somebody who's 40 and doesn't have a lot of experience, and, yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's, what's funny is I think ageism is real. We see it in a lot of industries. Oh. And we see it on a sexist basis as well, as I think you mentioned, uh, which is fair. I just think that what's funny is the one place that you see less ageism in our public life would be politics. When you look at Pelosi, yeah. McConnell, yes. the current president, the last president who's running for re-election. So while I do think it's a problem, I think we should be less ageist. We were talking about civil rights earlier. That's one of the things people discriminate on. Having said that, for whatever reason, incumbency, fame, other things, donor class. And the voters are the older. Voters are, the voters keep going back to the, some of the choices that are, that are upper in the age bracket. There's a movement in Europe going on right now, started by an older gentleman who had to deal with his bank. And the movement's called I'm Old, Not Stupid. <laughs> I subscribe to that. What was he dealing with? His, his... With his bank, because of the... Oh, the, I see. The, 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 the bank had changed some online, right. uh, you know, and he said, but this can't be understood. And then they treated him like an idiot, and he said, no, 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 I'm old, not stupid. Well, there, there is a lot of making you try to feel like you're stupid when you're older. I mean, they purposely do things... You know, why do I need to... What's that thing when you take a picture of the... The QR code? Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I I did do it... I find that for menus to be the most annoying thing in the world. I did do it to get my car out of valet. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Cracker Barrel. How (laughs) How about when you have to go to fill something out and it says, like pick the photos with the pickup trucks. And so it's like, you have to prove to this robot that you're a human. (laughs) Think about it. Uh, And then you get a robot, and it's embarrassing. Um, New census data shows that California and New York saw a mass exodus, well, mass, I don't know. uh, Yeah, well, 500,000, wow. Of people with their populations dropping by around 500,000 people. And it doesn't say over, is that in a year? Maybe it is or the last couple of years, can anything bring cost of living down in desirable places? Oh, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, no state income tax, Right. nice weather, and something else. Well, is something this, else about those states. Is this a referendum on the way we govern here in California and New York? I mean, obviously, this is, looks like a blue state, red state thing. I mean, a lot of it is big offices in big cities. Like, I live in Brooklyn. A lot of those big Manhattan towers haven't filled back up with people, but also that was an urban plan built a long time ago, and maybe it's evolving. I totally get it. I mean, in all fairness, I think you're, it's fine. If people don't want to be in these super expensive cities and go somewhere else, especially if they don't have to commute to one of those skyscrapers that often, then fine. But I think in New York, like I don't, from what we can see anecdotally, I don't think all those buildings are going to fill back up. They're not. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, I think one of the good things that happened with the pandemic was when time stopped, we got a chance to sort of like reassess. And we were saying to ourselves, why do we need to go to work five days? And, it, and we don't. Not from, you know, you probably should work five days, but maybe you could get your work done in four days. They found when people work 80% of the time, if they get paid the same, they do the same amount of work. Because most people, in an eight-hour day, they work three hours. So why not? And, you know, save all that commuter time. I, I love, we come to the office once a week now. Well, obviously today to do the show. But uh, <laughs> other than, <you>. yeah. 
You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Uh, but other than that, once a week, and that's, I feel that's perfect. We could do the rest of it at home. I don't need to see my, my lovely staff. I love them, but like once a week is perfect. Here's the problem. And I mean that in the... Totally agree, but we are losing something. I mean, I work from home, so like, take this criticism for what it's worth. But like our generation, we already got mentored. We already got trained. I think about like lawyers, like law firm partners aren't going in anymore. And those associates aren't learning how to do a trial. God knows we don't learn it in law school. So like we don't quite know what's going to be lost when we have an entire generation who doesn't have anyone actually telling them how to do their jobs because we're all home in our PJs. Yeah, I think think both things are true. (laughs) PJs. I think both things are true. Like, I remember the very beginning of COVID with the, with the lockdowns, people were like, what the hell? Like, I can't stay home. Like, I need to go out. And then by the end of COVID, everyone was like, what the hell? I can't go out to work. I need to stay home. And you're sort of like, this is human nature. Well, I think you need a mix. You need a mix. Well, you have to go out to the set to make a movie. So you're going to be out, and we're going to go to the movies together, right? Not at the same time. Okay. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. And you can watch Real Time with Bill Maher on Friday nights on HBO at 10 p.m. And then watch Overtime right here on CNN Friday nights at 1130. And we'll be right back. And now for some levity at the end of a busy week. Let's take a look at how the late night comics are poking fun at the headlines. I'm back with Natasha, Joey, Errol and LZ. Okay, so let's first start with Stephen Colbert, who interviewed George Santos. Watch this. Now, sir, since we last talked, you were essentially forced to step down from all your committee assignments. What have you been doing with your time? Oh, so much. I gave the State of the Union address. Shot down those spy balloons and performed at the Super Bowl halftime, where I revealed that I'm pregnant. <laughs> I mean, they write themselves. They write themselves with George Santos. I think if he decides to resign, that the drag queen should come out and be the one that says goodbye. I don't think he's going to resign. He doesn't seem to have any appetite for not being in the public eye. But I do feel like I could see him on Dancing with the Stars or some Mm -hmm. reality show after. Maybe that's really what he is after, the fame and the recognition. So this is a personal affront to me because he is my congressman. Oh. Oh. A lot of constituents is getting met in your district. There's not even a district office. But, um, yeah, it's... it's, uh, You You should be proud. He performed at the Super Bowl. That's amazing. Yes, and he gave the State of the Union. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) All right, now let's listen to uh, Jordan Klepper, who has talked to a Nikki Haley supporter who has decided to dump his support for Donald Trump. I voted for Trump, but I certainly will not be doing that again. When did Trump lose your support? The nail in the coffin for me with Donald Trump? Let me guess. Charlottesville. No. But Okay, let me guess. Kids you're not, ca- not going to guess it. Kids in cages. Nope. The insurrection, January 6th. The, nope. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, wait, hold on. First impeachment. Nope. Second impeachment. Nope. Okay, uh, inviting white supremacists over to Mar-a-Lago. No, but that, I mean, you know, criticizing DeSantis before his election. Wouldn't have guessed it. So that's the line right that there. That was the nail in the coffin. For I would have guessed kids in cages. I told you <laughs> you wouldn't have guessed it. 
<laughs> that is so good. <laughs> it's funny, but it's so true. It's so true. I mean, he kicked off his campaign saying horrible things about Hispanics. And it like, people just kept flying right through all kinds of stuff. And then all of a sudden, there's like some weird line that comes up. People are like going, I'm out. <laughs> like, how did you get there? They're like, you can't call DeSantis to sanctimonious. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> that was crazy. That was kids and kids. I mean, we're laughing, but it was funny for him to go through the litany, the laundry list of things that he could have jumped off the Trump train during. But well, logic, didn't, logic didn't get people into uh, their support of Trump and logic's not going to get them out. I mean, that's just like a sort of a humor, humorous dramatization of the reality is that people went based on like a, a gut feeling in a lot of ways. And, you know, you can't talk somebody out of that. So you can show them all of the impeachments in the world. You can mm-hmm. talk about the policies and so forth, but it's like, it's like something rubbed him the wrong way, I guess, about some speech he gave about DeSantis. Yes. I could yes. shoot someone on Fifth, Fifth Avenue. Avenue. Nope. Yeah, right. Not that one. <laughs> Not that hey. one. Not that First one. impeachment. Second impeachment. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. Not that Rather than by the Tiger Woods. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> We're losing the election, right? I mean, that counts for something, too. Not with that guy. Didn't lose the election. <laughs> Stolen. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, are we about to see that again? I mean, do we think that um, former President Trump is going to be on the campaign trail in sort of the same uh, energy? Well, energetic is the wrong word. With the same level of passion that he had last time around? I think he might have the same passion, but it doesn't have the same effect. I think both, whatever your party, there's something that, you know, you kind of get worn down after a while. It loses its magic. It loses its shock value. And I think Americans of all backgrounds are ready for something different. All right, I feel like we should fight for our right to party. So let's let's just finish off our fun week with the Kansas City Chiefs, Travis Kelsey, singing his uh, signature slogan. Watch this. Just days after that horrible mass shooting at Michigan State University that killed three students and wounded five others, their arch rivals at the University of Michigan, the Wolverines, are showing their solidarity. Members of the Wolverines women's basketball team are wearing T-shirts, sporting the emblem of the MSU Spartans to show their support and their love. The team tweeting that Michigan State is in their hearts. And the Michigan Athletics Department tweeting out photos and saying that Michigan teams will wear special Spartans helmet decals to honor all of the victims. The MSU men's basketball team plays the Wolverines at their arena tomorrow, and the Wolverines will wear specially designed team warm-up shirts, and Michigan will provide 2,000 T-shirts to students attending the game. There will also be a moment of silence for the victims. Thanks so much for watching tonight. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone, and our coverage continues. 
quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.